that being said, uh, turn with me to Jonah. We're going to be in Jonah for four weeks. Um, I will be preaching this sermon, and I will preach the next one. And then David, as he in tour starting the elder in training process, will be preaching the uh, third one, and then I will finish it up, and then we'll start Titus. And so Jonah, we're going to be in four sermons. Uh, I'm going to try to handle some of the background this morning, so hopefully I won't get bogged down too long on that so that we can move on into the narrative and handle this chapter well. Um, this is the longest of the four chapters but honestly, it's probably the most um, um, broad and easier to unpack because it's a bunch of conversations back and forth, okay? Uh, but just some background about Jonah uh, is that it's not about a big whale or a big fish swallowing up a man, okay? Uh, many of us that grew up in a church background, the only thing you could, um, unless you've dug deeper, deeper in your life or sat under good preaching, most of the time what people could tell us is that Jonah was this man that got swallowed by a well and stayed in the well for about three days. And you might even remember these figurines that was like put on this felt board or something of that nature, right? Um, Jonah was a, a, a prophet of God, but he was a rebellious prophet. Jonah was a prophet of God meant to be used for good. God certainly used him for good, but not by Jonah's design, but rather by God's design. Jonah was a man that, though he heard the voice of the Lord, he decided to do something different. Um, if we're going to be honest, there's many times in scriptures where when we look at the character, it's hard for us to really compare ourselves to. Um, think back to when we looked at Ruth. All right, so when we look at the book of Ruth, it's, we can be really quick to try to compare ourselves to Ruth or Boaz because they're kind of put in this good picture in this story. Um, it's really easy for us to look at that and say, you know, I am, Bo, Bo, Ro, Bo, I am Ruth or I am Boaz. But in all reality, we can't do that in most cases. Jonah, though, if I'm going to be honest, Jonah's the one that in all of the Old Testament, I kind of resonate with the most. Mainly because Jonah is a man that God called for a purpose that initially uh, desired to do something differently. But not only that, but one that was quick to abandon God's will for his life in pursuit of what he thought was better. Um, and if we're going to be honest, we can practically understand, we can practically understand Jonah because we often have a similar call in our life to go and proclaim something that we fail to do often. And so as we look in the book of Jonah, just a few background information about it is we know that Jonah is the primary character. We know that he is from a land. Uh, actually, let's just read the first couple of verses. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Ammonite, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose, fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, so Jonah is, um, he is in one place. He goes to Tarshish, and then he tries to flee the Lord, okay? Uh, God calls him to Nineveh, but he goes to Tarshish. We're going to get into that, why that's important in just a moment. I just wanted to just get familiar with some of these terms because Nineveh is very important here. Jonah is important because he's the main character, but what I want us to realize is Jonah isn't the one writing this. We don't know who wrote it. 
Um, most likely it was someone years and years later writing this narrative. We don't know who wrote Jonah. We don't know when it was written. Uh, as far as those things, we don't even know what audience it was written to. Um, so we really don't know. We don't know a lot about it to kind of help us kind of put ourselves in the shoes of the individual that would have read this for the very first time and maybe who even would have written it to them so that we can understand how to apply it. So we can't go that direction in trying to understand the scripture. But what we can do is understand the context in which it was written about. So Jonah is this individual, this prophet that is called by God. We only see of Jonah in one other place in all of scripture that is 2 Kings 14. 2 Kings 14. So we know very little about Jonah. And if we're going to be honest, we may not even know that this is the same Jonah. It's just we're assuming here in this uh, based on some biblical proofs and things of that such. But Jonah is this individual, this prophet that would have been in some way or another tied back to Samaria. Why Samaria is important is that Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom that in around this same time period would have been destroyed by the would have been destroyed by the Assyrians okay so the Assyrians destroyed Samaria took over the the capital city of the northern kingdom this is the point in which Israelite history they are separated in the northern and southern kingdom the northern kingdom has now been taken over by the Assyrians. They have deported essentially all of the people. They become refugees. And what I need to know about that is that Nineveh would have been a great city in the Assyrian Empire. So Jonah, this man that has ties to Samaria, is called to go to a great city of the nation that destroyed his people after it had already occurred. So when we read this, we may be really quick to say that, man, Jonah should have done what God called him to do. Jonah should have went. Jonah should have went to Samaria, to um, Nineveh rather than going to Tarshish. Jonah, why was he so dumb to not listen to what God had called him to do? Um, to make this make sense for us older ones in the room, it's like if God, after 9-11, would have called us to be missionaries to 9-11, to 9-11, Afghanistan, right? Where if God would have called us to go to the place that had just attacked our people group. But even more than that, there's a, a missionary named um, Joseph Elliott, who died at the hands of a people group in Africa, where? Amazon. Uh, actually, freak accident. He came riding in on a plane. He had been there for a long time, actually, for a period of time. He had flown in on a plane. They freaked out. They thought it was some gigantic bird, so they started attacking the gigantic bird with spears, and he dies. But some years later, his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, goes back, lives with the people, and proclaims the gospel to them. It would have been really easy for Elizabeth Elliot not to go back, right? I mean, they took, they took her husband from him, the father of her children from him. It been easy for her to not go back. See, Jonah responded the same way we would have responded in a circumstance like this, most of us at least. 
See, Jonah was going to a place that he just did not want to be because this is the reality and this is the main theme of the book of Jonah is it says right here, the depth of God's grace. God is about to show grace and mercy to the people of Nineveh as they repent and turn away from their sins and turn towards God in some capacity or another. And the reason why Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh is because Jonah does not want God's grace to be displayed in their life. Jonah wanted Ninevites to face God's judgment, but God did not. And so, with all that being said, let's jump into it. Um, let's read all of it together. Um, it's 17 verses. It's going to take a second. Um, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatite, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to uh, down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and the mighty tempest of the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each of them cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for him. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know of whose account that this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what are your people? And he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord of God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were extraordinarily afraid and said to him, What is that this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then he said to them, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grow more and more uh, temptress. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great temptress has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O God, let us not perish for the man's life and lay not on this innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord extremely. They offered sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We only see one more thing about a fish, but this is what gets the main point of the entire story. In this, though, um, what we see going on here is just this narrative of how Jonah begins in the land of Joppa. We don't know what Joppa is. But we do know where Tarshish is, and we do know where Nineveh is. 
the land, Jonah, uh, in his fleeing from God, ends up in this boat, then ends up in this water, and then next week we'll pick up there. But what I want to see in this is three things. I want to see Jonah's calling in the first couple of verses. Then I want to see Jonah's disobedience leads to faith. Oh, that's, a, that's interesting there. We're going to get there. And then we're going to see that Jonah's disobedience could not stop the sovereign plan of God. And we're going to get there uh, by looking forward a little bit by, while also looking at verse 17. Let's start by looking at Jonah's calling in verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amite, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So Jonah would have been greatly knowledgeable of the evil of Nineveh. As we've already discussed kind of what was going on here, Jonah would have known exactly what Nineveh did. It's actually possible that Jonah would have been dispersed with the people of God in some way or another. And maybe that's how he ended up in Joppa. We don't know. What we do know, though, here is that Jonah certainly knew that Nineveh was this evil city. Uh, some people would may even say that Jonah hated the people of Nineveh, that he hated the Ninevites, uh, that in some way, some form, some way, and somehow, he is racist towards them. But it's not, it's not just because of who they are, but it's because of the evil they have done. He despised these people because they had destroyed his people. He despised them because they had taken his kingdom and destroyed it. Jonah knew exactly the evil in which they had done and the evil that had come up against God. I want to present this idea that Jonah not only hates the Ninevites here. And so he wants God's wrath to go to them. But in some way, he's probably also mad at God for waiting until now to destroy Nineveh and a lack of understanding of what God was doing through the Ninevites to deliver judgment on his people. So the reality here is God certainly could have stepped in before these Ninevites taken and destroyed Samaria and deported and just caused his people to be refugees wherever they may have been. God certainly could have stepped in and did that, but God used the, the, the evilness of Nineveh for the good of his will. Just like we're going to see here in just a moment that God uses Jonah's disobedience to bring salvation to those that may not have known of God any other way. See, God is not limited to any way of bringing salvation to his people. God is not limited to delivering people from sin. God is a sovereign God at work in salvation, and his grace goes deeper than we will ever understand or ever be able to apply in our lives. Jonah, in this call to go and to preach this goodness of God, this, this faithfulness they could find in Christ Jesus or in God, looking to the future tense. The reality to it all is that Jonah just, he didn't want them to believe. He didn't want them to have grace. He didn't want them to have mercy. He wanted them to die. And to put it in no other ways, he wanted them to die and go to hell. That's how much Jonah hated these people. God gave him a call to go. But as we're going to see in just a moment, he does exactly the opposite. Jonah hates these people. 
what I want us to understand in this is we understand his context. We think about our context. We're not a prophet. We're not living in a foreign land. We don't have a, a, a home that was destroyed by enemies, a, a heavenly kingdom that was destroyed by enemies. This isn't a complete comparison. But the reality is the same, is that we all have a calling in our life. And I'm not talking about what you're going to do as an occupation. But rather what you're called to do is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Or Ephesians 4.12, to do the work of ministry. The reality is we all have a calling in our life. And yes, it certainly is different than Jonah's. Don't want to compare it too much the same. We all have a calling in our life, but so often we may not do it out of hatred, but we do it out of love of other things that would then separate us from doing the will of God in our lives. Coincidentally, we've looked at question 17 of the New City Catechism that asks, what is idolatry? Often we fail to do what God has called us to do as his people because we are making other things God in our life and we're being idolaters. You know, often I hear, and this isn't to shame anyone, I fall in the same category as well, some. Often I hear is, you know, I can't share the gospel with that individual because it's going to change my relationship with them. In that moment, we're making our relationship with that individual the idol of our life rather than doing what God has called us to do. See, there's many ways that we fail to do what God is calling us to do Certainly, it could be out of hatred. It could be out of racism. It could be out of discontent. It could be out of a lot of different things. But the reality is we're no different than Jonah. But my prayer would be that as we approach the, look, the book of Jonah, we would see that God is sovereign no matter what, and that in that, it's much better for us to be in line with what he is calling us to do. All right, so first and foremost, Jonah's calling in verses 1 and 2. Now we're going to look at Jonah's disobedience leads to faith. Now, we're going to look at verses 3 through 16. So this is a, the majority of the book, okay? So I'm going to try to not get bogged down in every detail, but I do want to look at it verse by verse. It says, but Jonah read, uh, rose and fled to Tarshish. Now, I want us to, to understand is that in verse 2, he says, arise and go. This is a command of God for him to get up quickly and to go. All right, so Jonah, it seems as if, if you start off, it seems as if he's obeying. He says, but Jonah rose to fled. I mean, but Jonah rose. He, he got up quickly. He didn't wait. He doesn't, he doesn't hesitate. He, bought, he follows part of the command, right? He followed the part to go. But where he falls is where he goes to. He says, right, he rose and he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In some way, Jonah seemed to think that if he got on that boat and he went to Tarshish, that God would quit calling him to do this work. I'm not sure why Jonah felt this way. I'm not sure why Jonah thought this way. But it says that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. It says he went down to Joppa. He found a ship to go to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah... He's not stumbling in the wrong direction. Jonah is intentionally disobeying what God had called him to do. He rose. He goes to this port city. He gets on a He pays his fare. He gets on a boat. As we're going to see in a moment, he even goes to the bottom of the boat and he goes to sleep. 
resting in his disobedience. Jonah is intentionally disobeying exactly what God had called him to do, even so that um, even so that as he was supposed to go to Nineveh, which was a northern king, a northern area, he's going southern, right? And so he's going the opposite direction in which God had called him to do, called him to go. And he's intentionally doing this. It's not a stumbling into sin. It's not a, a misunderstanding. He's intentionally going away from God. And the reason must be that his hatred for the Ninevites was stronger than his love for God. Or that he knew exactly what God was going to do, and that was to show grace and mercy. But he did not desire God to do that. Been a pause. We see that he saw that he thought that he could flee from the Lord's presence. But also in this, and I'm not trying to get too far ahead of myself here, Jonah also maybe thought of himself too highly. See, he's this religious leader, this religious individual. He maybe thought of himself too highly that maybe that he could thwart the plan of God by running in the opposite direction. And what we're going to see in this entire story is that though God uses man and men and women to proclaim his truth, his good news, God is much stronger and greater and sovereign than any man ever could be. That's wonderful news for us. Picking up in verse 4. But the Lord had hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest of the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break it up. All right, so this wasn't a normal storm. storm. This wasn't just an incident that happened and an occurrence that happened in, in the world. This wasn't just a hurricane or whatever the case may be. It is clearly saying in this scripture that, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, that God is actively doing something here. Right. As we look in Scripture, there's oftentimes where things just occurred because it just occurred in this life, much like it was raining at some point this morning. It just happens in this life. But what's happening here is God's intervening directly in the circumstances of man. So he throws this, this hurled this wind at him. That word hurled we'll actually see a lot coincidentally. At them. And it says the, mariner, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. So this storm wasn't even a normal storm at that. These were people that, they were fishermen. They were mariners, mariners, right? They, they did this for a living. This, wasn't, uh, this was their occupation. They went to and fro. They knew how to navigate the sea well. But this storm was so bad that they were so afraid of their lives that they began to throw off their cargo from the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Most likely because the heavier the ship would be, the harder it would be to navigate and things of the such. It might be viewed that this was also some kind of sacrifice to the sea so that it would calm down. Uh, most likely very basic that they, they probably just thought that it would help them navigate the sea better if their load was lighter. So they begin to throw everything off the, the boat. So we see this comparison. Is that God throws this wind, the mariners... They're afraid. They're crying out to their gods. They're doing everything, everything they can to be saved from this storm. It says, But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. This was a storm that would have caused Jonah to know naturally that there was something going on. But Jonah was... It seems as if Jonah is so content 
in his disobedience that he's resting away peacefully in the bottom of this boat. That's hard for us to understand because this is a prophet of God, right? This is a person of God. This is a, a, a mouthpiece of God that was called to do something. How could he be so ignorant to what is going on around him that, that he doesn't even care about the people on the boat or the people back at Nineveh? We see his heart changes some. But in this, we just see that Jonah is content in doing exactly the opposite of what God called him to do. He's fast asleep. He's not warring with this decision at all internally. His stomach is not in knots because of the conflict within him. He is fast asleep, resting away. But then it says in verse 6, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that, he, that we may not perish. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. So apparently Jonah had gotten up out of the boat. He got out of the bottom of the boat. He's with everyone else because casting lots would essentially been to, um, have y'all seen them in movies where they would have straws and they would pull straws and whoever had the shortest straw would have to go and do this or they would throw dice and it would land on somebody or things like that. That's casting lots. And so it's essentially something they put a lot of trust and merit into, but not complete trust. Because as it says in a the moment, they give him a chance to explain himself, okay? And so, but when they cast lots, it falls on Jonah, which is the second way that we see in this scripture that God is directly involved in this narrative. First, by throwing the, the storm that way, but second, by causing these lots to fall on Jonah. This isn't by happenstance. This isn't by coincidence. God is intervening here. And what God is doing is making it to where Jonah cannot say or sit there quietly as he, as he has been doing to what is going on in his life. God is intervening so that Jonah would actually get thrown into the sea. We're going to see that unfold as we keep going. So they cast lots. It falls on them. Verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what are your people are you? They're, they're asking a lot of questions quickly. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Why is this happening? Is what he's asking. they're asking him. Why is this happening? What evil have you done? What sin have you committed? Who have you done this against? Why is the gods attacking us on your behalf? They're not believers, right? They're gods, G-O-D-S, little g. Verse 9, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. That statement is obviously not completely true. And if it is, there's some irony here. He fears the Lord, but he's running completely from God. And I would argue it's because he would rather die than see God's work done. He certainly fears the Lord but it's because he doesn't want God to do what he knows God is going to do. This is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. In that last statement, he says, I fear the God of heaven. He could have stopped there. He said, who made the sea and the dry land. What he's doing there is he's affirming to them people 
that it's my fault. This storm has come upon you because I've done evil against my God. My God has control over these things. And it is my fault that we're in this situation. And then the men were extremely afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the seas grow more and more temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great temptest has fallen upon you. There's a double reality here. Jonah is willing to sacrifice his life for these pagan sailors to be saved from the storm. He's showing some form of compassion and love towards them in that. Okay. The second, though, is that Jonah was also willing to die rather than go to Nineveh. So he didn't want these people to die on his behalf of his sinfulness, but he certainly did not want to see the Ninevites saved from their sin. So this shows and this just tells us that Jonah, it's not that he's racist towards or he hates all Gentiles, right? It's not that he hates all other people other than the Israelites, but it's that he, his hatred is deep into the Ninevites, that he really hates the Ninevites. Because he's willing to lose his life for the sake of these sailors, these pagan sailors, but he's not willing to surrender part of his life to see these Ninevites saved. So Jonah says, look, if you want it to end, throw me into the sea and it will quiet down for you. It's that simple. Just throw me in there. It'll see. But what I want us to see before we move on past that is these sailors, though they're pagans, they knew of the God of the Israelites. They knew of the might of God. So it brings me to question, why didn't they trust in said God if they knew of the might of God? This, I would probably argue this because they had not experienced God yet. And we're going to see that experience unfold. Verse 13 says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. All right, so these mariners, they instead of throwing Jonah in the sea initially, they tried to go back to dry land. Do you think it's because they were loving, good people? Probably not. It's because they feared God enough. Because if you see their prayer in just a moment, it's because they feared God. That if God, if they killed one of God's prophets, then God would then cause even more harm on them. Look at their prayer. It says, therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So somehow these pagan God, these pagan individuals, instead of praying to their false gods, praying to the true God. And he says, look, don't let this man's innocent blood. And he's not saying he's innocent from running from God, but that, that just in case this wasn't the right thing to do. God, do not judge us because we're just listening to who you're, what your man told us to do, to throw him into the sea. And so they're, they're praying to God. They says, look, don't judge us for... Throw this man into the sea. Don't, don't place his blood on our hands. Very simply put, don't make us die for the sake of this man. They've, they've tried to go the other direction. They've tried to go to dry land. they tried to stop it, but it doesn't work. So eventually they have no other choice 
So they pray to God. They pray for God's provisions, essentially. Don't kill us if we do this. We're just listening to Jonah. So verse 15, so they picked up Jonah. They hurled him into the sea, and the the sea ceased from its raging. They do exactly what Jonah says. The sea stops. And in stopping, they see the work of God in their life. They experience it here. This isn't something that they have heard of or some old wives tell or some legend. But this is something they experienced directly. That it was abundantly clear that the sea was doing what the sea was doing because God was the one that caused it. This led them, and though we don't know anything about their lives after this, so all we can do is look at verse 16 and run with it. It says, Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Do we know that this was a true conversion? Do we know that this was a long-lasting commitment to the creator of the sea and the land? We don't know. Okay, But what we do know is they experienced God, and in experiencing God, they feared God, which also could be translated to worship God. So this fear caused worship. So they're worshiping and fearing the Lord, greatly so, to the point that they're making sacrifices to Him, and they're making vows to Him. Could they have done this simply because they didn't die, and so they're trusting in Him for the moment? That's possible. But what we see clearly is in this moment of Jonah's disobedience, they come to experience God of the heavens, God of the earth, and God of the sea in such a way that it led them to make vows to him. These were men that no other Israelite was going to go to. These were men, I would argue, and I would press, that was changed in an experience with God while Jonah was being disobedient to God. See, the reality here is, as we've looked at, is the depth of God's grace is deeper and different than we could ever understand. And he's able to even take the disobedient and the rebellion of his prophet To lead men to know and to experience him greater. Makes me think of Philippians. When Paul is writing back to the church of Philippi. He says look there's people that are preaching the gospel. Just to make my time in jail worse. But to God be the glory for the preaching of his word. That God is using it for good. It's no different here. God is taking the rebellion of man, the rebellion of a prophet of his, and he is using that sovereignly to save men that may not have encountered Israelites in the truth of the good news in any other way. I want to bring a comfort here to us. And it's simply this. Not that we... This would give us an excuse to be disobedient. But I think this would give us a peace when we don't feel sufficient in doing the mission that God has called us to. If God could take a rebellious prophet and bring men to himself 
certainly he can use the willingness of his people to magnify his name by the proclaiming of his, his gospel and making of disciples. Not that you can approach circumstances and situations um, without preparation or thought or prayer, but the reality is, is we're called to be faithful in what God has called us to do, and God does saving work. We present the gospel. We build relationships. We do all of those things. But God is the one that's using every one of those to bring people to himself. And so the reality is you don't have to have this well-crafted argument. You don't have to be the most studied up. You don't have to do all of these things perfectly because God is going to save who God is going to save. He's just using men and women like you and I to save them and to disciple them. God's work of salvation is not dependent upon us, but he desires to use us. And so we can be like Jonah, and we can be rebellious and run away, and God's certainly going to save who God's going to serve. Save. My disobedience is going to not, my disobedience will not be the cause of another man's damnation. But if we look at Jonah's life and we say, look, we don't have to be this way. God, we want to be used by you, used for you to accomplish your will. God will certainly be faithful in saving his people. See, if God could take the disobedience of Jonah that would lead to faith, he can certainly use the obedience of his men and women now to lead to faith. The last thing I want us to see is Jonah's disobedience could not stop the sovereign plan of God. In verse 17, this is the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Next week, we're going to pick up his prayer to God. And we're going to see his disobedience get even worse. We're going to see his hatred come out even more. We're going to see his rejection of God even more. But in 17, it says that he swallowed up by this great fish. That would naturally assume, if it stopped there, we would assume Jonah died in that moment. But we see that God is sovereignly working in another way. Is that he appointed this fish to swallow him up. And then God is actively keeping Jonah alive within this well. Why? Because in verse 10 of chapter 2, says the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Because God is at work in Jonah's life. And Jonah thought that he could flee from God's presence. He could go to Joppa. He could flee to the land to the south instead of going to Nineveh. Jonah thought he could run away from God. He could ignore what God had called him to do. And then God's judgment would just be casted upon the Ninevites. But Jonah was not only the rebellious prophet, but Jonah was the forced prophet to do what God was calling him to do. See, there's this misunderstanding out there today in Christian circles is that God would not push on us something that we don't want. You can't look at the story of Jonah and tell me that God certainly does that from time to time in people's life. That God would strong arm them enough to where they surrender to what he is calling them to do. 
They may go reluctantly. They go, may go in hatred. They may go in dismay. They may go even in total rejection. And they may even end in anger just like Jonah does. But God is certainly a God that is sovereign over all and there's no creation that can thwart the plan of God. No man, no woman, no bird, no fish, no storm, no boat that can go against what God is going to do. And this is a much quicker point to make here. But what we see in this is that Jonah's disobedience did not stop a sovereign God from saving the people who he wanted to save. This is a joy for us. This is a joy for us because we have a God that is, as we read in Isaiah 25 this morning, Actually, let's just go back and reference some of that real quick. Some of it fit us so perfect this morning. Verse 3. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. City of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in distress, and a shelter from the storm and the shade of the heat. For the breath and of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall so the reality in Isaiah 25 is very simple this is therefore a strong people will glorify you this is certainly what we're going to see unfold in the life of the Ninevites a strong city turning to God glorifying God Cities of ruthless nations a city that a nation that just destroyed the people of God now fearing God, But even in this, he says, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. A shelter from the storm. Certainly this is what God was in the life of those mariners. mariners. And then a shade of the heat. And I'm getting ahead of myself here. But at the end of Jonah's life, God provides a shade in the middle of a heat. And Jonah, in his disobedience and uh, arrogance, still pushes against God in that moment. What we see in the first chapter of Jonah is very simply this. That God is sovereign over all. And because of that, His grace is deeper than we can ever see or understand. The reality is, when we look at the Ninevites, and we look at Jonah, we're probably quick to think of Jonah in the religious aspect and that the Ninevites are these evil people but what we're going to see through all of this is what God is teaching us in the life of Jonah is that God's not only gracious to pagan mariners that God's not only gracious towards rebellious and ruthless murderers and conquerors but God is also gracious towards religious individuals that trust in their own pride and selfishness rather than God. And so even in the swallowing up by a fish, we see this grace and mercy given to Jonah that he did not deserve. The reality is this, is that Jonah in this moment deserved to go into that, that ocean and to drown for his disobedience of God. But God, in showing great mercy, delivered him from his sinfulness is going to spit him out on the sea 
on the dry land from the sea and show mercy to him once again. Let's pray.